0: So hard, Ooh, Lord, my So
1: Trouble Welcome to the Faith Panel on the Radical Reverend Show. At the beginning of the show you're going to hear some testimony I gave at the Standing Committee on General Government about Charles McVeady getting accreditation for his Canadian Christian College as a university, uh, and then afterwards we're gonna discuss it with our faith panel of the day. Stay tuned.
0: The Standing Committee on General Government will now come to order. We are here to resume public hearings on Bill 213. I will now call upon the United Church of Canada, Trinity St. Paul Centre for Faith, Justice and the Arts.
1: Yes, I'm Reverend Dr. Sherry De Novo, CM. Thank you for allowing me to present before you. I appear before you as a woman who has worked for 50 years to address homo, bi, and transphobia in Canada and last year was honored to be awarded the Order of Canada for that work. In 1971, I was the only woman to sign We Demand, the first public demand for equal rights for LGB people. In 2001, I performed the first legalized same-sex marriage And after my election in 2006 to this legislature, I passed the most LGBTQ pieces of legislation in Canada. They included Toby's Law, named after my trans church music director, adding trans rights to the Ontario Human Rights Code. A bill like all of my bills made law with all party support. One of the co-signatories of that bill was Deputy Premier Christine Elliott. She, I, and Yasser Naqvi, the other signatory, were given awards by parents, families, friends of lesbians and gays, delivered by the comedian and actress, Rosie O'Donnell. I was saddened to hear that Ms. Elliott did not vote against section two of this bill before us that gives university and degree granting status to Charles McVitie's Canadian Christian College, a man who has always opposed trans rights and the very existence of trans people. Why do I and many others consider granting a college accreditation that is to a a college that espouses racist and homophobic views? Why is that wrong? It is because such views result in death. Some 33% of LGB children attempt suicide and almost 50% of trans and non-binary children as compared to 7% of straight children attempt suicide. LGBTQ rights are at their heart about saving lives particularly the lives of our most vulnerable children. Adding trans rights to the OHRC helped save lives. McVitie opposed that bill. He also opposed every other LGBTQ rights bill I was part of or originated and passed into law, like banning conversion therapy in Ontario in 2015, like parent equality for LGBTQ families, like the Trans Day of Remembrance in 2017 that Minister Lisa McLeod was a co-signatory on. Anything and everything that could prevent such deaths, Charles McVitie has opposed In short, he's consistently opposed the will of this legislature. Let me be very clear, his views are not supported by mainstream Christianity. There is an entire network of recognized Christian seminaries in Ontario. Here in Toronto, the Toronto School of Theology under the University of Toronto includes Roman Catholic colleges, Presbyterian, Anglican, and the United Church of Canada colleges. The United Church of Canada, of which I am a part, having been ordained in 1996, is the largest Protestant denomination in Canada with over 2,000 churches and has been ordaining openly gay and lesbian clergy since 1988. <clears throat> All of the Toronto Schools of Theology are bound and adhere to the inclusive policies of the University of Toronto. McVitie often pretends to speak for the Roman Catholic community, but Pope Francis himself has supported same sex, civil marriage, and advocates for the love of all people. Our Catholic school system has supported gay-straight alliances, the health and physical education curriculum, again, both initiatives that Mr. McVeedy opposed. It is certainly not Christian to hate one's neighbor, as McVeedy does with our Muslim neighbors, having called Islam hateful and a war machine. Or, our Jewish neighbors, who through the Canadian Jewish Congress opposed one of McVitie's other attempts in 1998 to achieve accreditation based on his anti-Semitism. Nor is a Christian to call Haitians practicing Satanists, another of McVitie's quotes. Biblically, Jesus says nothing about homosexuality, but does say 2,000 years before Lady Gaga, in Matthew 19.12, that some are born not finding heterosexual marriage their calling or some are born that way. Taking instances of homophobia out of context, as McVitie does, is poor biblical exegesis and poor scholarship. By that measure, we would be condoning slavery and a myriad of other now justifiably illegal acts. The Christian television station, here in Canada, representing conservative Christianity, removed McVitie's show from the air because of his views, and CTS is known as the voice of the evangelical Christian community. The Canadian Broadcast Standards Council condemned him as well for such lies as suggesting homosexuals prey on children. The Conservative Sun News Network has also disavowed him. As far as being degree-granting, Premier Bill Davis, a Conservative, opposed giving the Canadian Christian College degree-granting status in 1983, seeing it as part of what were called degree mills back then. Questionable financial practices like loans totaling almost $900,000 from his own college by Mr. McVeady and his son would not be tolerated in a legitimate university. The Post-Secondary Education Quality Assessment Board has not vetted the Canadian Christian College either. The Ontario Confederation of University Faculty Associations have also condemned the potential degree-granting status of the Canadian Christian College. I appeal to the Conservative members of this panel whose party has acted in the best interests of our vulnerable and our precious children in our past by voting for equal rights by the LGBTQ community. All the bills now law I've mentioned. Don't recast your party as the voice as the voice of homophobia, transphobia, and racism. Keep your own faith and your own tradition alive. May I remind those assembled here of a quote by the great hero and theologian of the German Christian resistance to Hitler: "Silence in the face of evil is evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act." To conclude, let me say to all those of you on this committee, it is evil to promote hatred. To you who love and desire to protect our most vulnerable, do not allow hatred to pass as love. Do not allow hatred to pass as faith. Our children and all of us are counting on you. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. At this point, we'll turn to the independent member. MVP Schreiner. you may begin.
2: I'm gonna begin uh, by uh, directing my first question to Sherry DeNovo. And Welcome back to Queen's Park Virtually. Given the work you've done around updates to the Ontario Human Rights Code, um, do you believe that practices at uh, Canadian Christian College
1: are in compliance with the Ontario Human Rights Code? Uh, No, absolutely not. They are not in compliance with with the Ontario Human Rights Code, which makes them very different from all the other theological colleges that do give degrees. Uh, That, for example, I I gave the example of all of the colleges under Toronto School of Theology, where uh, they have signed on to University of Toronto's inclusive practices, which is in part upholding the Ontario Human Rights Code. So there is no problem with Christian colleges upholding the Ontario Rights Code uh, and being inclusive. But the very fact that Christian Canadian Christian College espouses uh, through Charles McVeady, their spokesperson, um, uh, particularly particularly homo, bi and transphobic um, uh, policies is, is absolutely outside the realm of, of uh, I argued, Christianity and universities.
2: And do you think it's possible to separate Canadian Christian College as an institution from Charles McVitie as president and his own
1: personal views? Absolutely not. And, and as I pointed out, you know, the fact that they use it as a personal piggy bank with $900,000 worth of loans to McVeady and his son, that kind of practice, uh, it it would be absolutely condemned and illegal for legitimate universities. So, I mean, again, there there are lots of red flags here. um, And in particular, the rejection from his own conservative Christian community through CTS, through Sun uh, News Network, as I said before, Bill Davis rejected this application back in the day in 83. And um, so so even speaking from within the conservative, progressive conservative framework, uh, his college has been rejected time and time again. And do you believe that
2: requiring a pastor's note for admittance to Canadian Christian College is a discriminatory admissions process?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I mean, again, when you look at the other Christian colleges, no such note is required, you know. Um, this, this isn't part of the process of going through seminary, of getting a master's of divinity or a, you know, bachelor of theology or religion. This, this is not part of any of that. Um, so, so again, um, you know, I was I, I was kind of given a high five uh, before I came to testify uh, before you today from my own alma mater, from Emmanuel College, part of Victoria University, but but also from Presbyterians, from Catholics, Anglicans. I know. I mean, I, again, the vast majority of the Christian community in Canada uh, does not uphold the views of Charles Baudy. Yeah,
2: and do you believe that uh, Canadian Christian College uh, engages in discriminatory? One minute. Irony? When it comes to uh, its process for hiring
1: faculty, of course, it does. You're, you know, um, out, people who are out and LGBTQ2 plus um, are rejected from being faculty. Of course, um, they are. So, I mean, this is this is very clear in their hiring practices, which is discriminatory under the OHRC. Uh, and of course, it's also their policies that make it um, impossible to be a student there if you are openly and proudly uh, LGBTQ2 plus
2: and I think you've stated this, but I just want to be clear for the record. You're not aware of any other Christian college or university in Canada, that, or at least in Ontario, let's say, that engages in such discriminatory practices
1: well at toronto school of theology again the st mike's college and others regis college two catholic colleges there um knox college presbyterian Wycliffe and trinity anglican colleges you know all at uphold the university of toronto inclusive standards.
0: thank you that's all the time we have we'll now turn to the official opposition mpp fife he may begin I'm going to
3: continue on the same vein uh, to uh former MPP De novo. good to see you Sherry uh, we we heard also from the 519 um on Friday we had a full day of uh, delegations as well uh they they provided a very strong uh, legal perspective on fights that have already happened and this would be having to do with Western University which actually had gone to the Canadian Supreme Court around hiring practices what do you what how how does this square with you know more legal action that this government is brazenly moving into given the given the courts the the conflict that they've already had with the courts can you speak to that
1: i i suspect that this will be um provoke a a number of challenges, both at the Ontario Human Rights Commission and, of course, um, through uh, the Supreme Court and through the court system as well. Um, Absolutely, it is discriminatory. But I think more to the point, I'm trying here to appeal to the Conservatives um, who have a majority government and can decide to take this section out of this bill if they so choose, that they themselves have been on record in supporting LGBTQ2 plus rights. They have co-signed bills. Uh, So how can, you know, uh, the deputy premier, Christine Elliott, or the cabinet minister, Lisa McLeod, how can they let this pass? Uh, knowing as they do that they have signed on to bills that support equal rights for LGBTQ2 plus people.
3: Yeah, and I think, and you know, of course you know that also uh, the official opposition put forward a motion uh, last Wednesday, it did pass, and, and... to condemn the direction that Schedule 2 is taking us in. And a number of uh, Conservative MPPs chose obviously not to critique in that vote so that the NDP opposition motion passed. So, I mean, it really does speak to the pressure, uh, the internal pressure, I think, from the Premier's Office to move Schedule 2 forward. Because you'll hear later on from PC members that this is simply a, a, a transparent process. Do you see it as a transparent process? Absolutely not.
1: As I said, the, the own vetting process for new colleges and, and accrediting universities has not vetted them. Um, Akufa has not vetted them. <clears throat> um, this has come before this legislature before since 1983 and it always has been rejected. So, um, again, you know, that's, that's a huge history to overcome and it's not, uh, this is not partisan. This is a conservative history to overcome, uh, and, and and again, you know, uh, why now? Uh, good question. Um, what what hold does Charles McVitie have over the premier? And that's the question I think that is pertinent to this. Uh, that's not my area of expertise. I'll leave that to others. But the very fact that they didn't show up to vote says something. As I said. The quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to not speak is to speak, and to not act is to act. So um, so I would really challenge those members who have spoken um, about LGBTQ plus uh, rights and have said that there is no contradiction between that and voting conservative. Uh, if they truly believe that, then act it, then speak it, and then take this schedule out of this bill.
0: We'll now turn to the official opposition. MP Glover, you may begin.
4: You mentioned that the actions of Charles McBeady lead to death, the words that lead to death. And last week we were hearing in in the Friday's deputations about the difference between freedom of speech and hate speech. And somebody said that hate speech is when it impedes on the safety of others. So my question is, when when the government members are saying that they're defending Charles McBeady's uh, right to freedom of speech, how would you respond?
1: Uh, well, certainly, and I think that's a good working definition of hate speech as contrasted with freedom of speech. Um, I, I mentioned that I was ordained in 1996. I would say a large part of what I've uh, done in ministry is to... Uh, You know, sadly, counsel and welcome those that have come from hate-filled communities that profess to be faithful communities. Um, uh, Certainly with banning conversion therapy, um, there's a high rate of, of suicide among those who've gone through conversion therapy. And when we heard, uh, when, when I was on the GSA committee traveling around Ontario, when we heard from medical professions, uh, those that were religiously motivated um, uh, to try to, you know, turn gay kids straight, um, we, we heard also from the victims of that. And it's well documented now that the victims of conversion therapy, that the victims of transphobia and homo uh, bi uh, and 2S plus communities, um, uh, that they are at a far higher grade of, of rate of suicide, as I said, almost 50% for attempted suicide for trans kids, um, about in the 30s, uh, depending on which study you look at, uh, for uh, bisexual, lesbian, and gay kids. So that's significant. And also homelessness, which I did not mention. Um, is still, if you look on the streets of uh, any a large city or even smaller city, uh, and you see youth that are homeless, a large, much larger proportion of those than in the general population will be from the LGBTQ2+. plus community. So again, it has real ramifications on children, and I think that's really important to note, um, that it is children that suffer the most.
4: Thank you. And the other thing that the government has been offering, or some of the government members have been arguing, is that um, McVitie is entitled to uh, the process, you know, of bringing this bill forward. How would you respond to that, that defense of this action, of this bill?
1: well sure i mean anybody's anybody's can bring anything forward but do you have to acknowledge it do you have to give voice to it do you have to amplify it out into the community because by doing it as i suggest in my presentation the conservative party is putting themselves on the wrong side of history here uh they're certainly uh saying loudly and clearly this is not a party for you if you are LGBT- lgbtq2s plus it's not your party. Don't vote for us. Um, and, and quite frankly, I don't think that's what they want to do. So uh, my challenge to them is, who are you as a party? Who do you speak for? If you don't speak for that community, pass this. If you do pretend to speak for this community, I uh, eliminate this.
4: And also, would you say the same applies to the Muslim community in Canada?
1: Absolutely. I mean, to call it a war machine, to call Islam a war machine, um, uh, you know... Uh, is and to support, which I didn't have time to say, uh, speakers, uh, from other countries who are what we would call Islamophobic, um, is, is hateful, uh, and again, results in death. We've seen attacks on mosques in this country, um, and also again, it not just for Muslims, for Canadian Jewish Congress back in 1998, again, another attempt by this college to get accreditation rejected it because they were preaching that you can, you know, become a Christian. And they were supporting uh, Jews that were converting to Christianity against the wishes of Canadian Jewish Congress. So uh, there you have two pretty large communities who are speaking with
0: one mind about, about this college and about this section.
4: Okay. Thank you very much for being here.
0: Thank you very much, everyone. At this point, I'd like to thank our presenters for taking the time to be here with us.
1: Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. You just heard uh, my testimony that happened last Monday, November 30th, at Queen's Park. And before you ask... No, I don't know what happened uh, coming out of that. The vote has not happened. They'll go now into clause by clause on that particular bill, and then it will go back to the floor for a vote later. Might not even happen before Christmas. So I will keep you posted uh, at any rate on social media and, of course, here on the Radical Reverend Show. I'm Sherry DeNovo, your host, and I thank you for listening. And also thank you for being so generous over our fundraising period. Keep those donations coming. We are the only alternative radio station left in Toronto from Buffalo to Barrie, Kitchener to Coburg, and of course, online uh, podcast on Apple, iTunes, or SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll hear us. Uh, So today, I'm delighted. We've got a faith panel, which is always exciting. We're going to talk about uh, the Christian College uh, situation, but we're also going to talk about other things. And to do that, I've got two terrific guests with me. I've got Jodi Fisher. She's United Church clergy. She uh, has been, uh, for the longest time, engaged in community activism and organizing and now lives in Ottawa. She was with me in seminary. And uh, she's taking a little break break from the church now uh, to try to kind of find socially just ways to respond to the rest of the world. And with her today, we have uh, Shems, I'm gonna call her for short, uh, but Ustada uh, Shems Idin Roger, who is a teacher, activist, artist, originally from Detroit, studied Islam in the US, Spain, Morocco, Egypt, worked in environmental justice, in activism, and uh, also with queer youth, and is part of that wonderful place, Unity Mosque in Toronto. So welcome, both of you, to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you. So maybe, uh, Shem, uh, let's start with you. Uh, Looking from, I I suppose, in a certain sense, the outside in, in the Christian world here, uh, but looking at the Canadian Christian College, I mean, not only has it been, as you heard Uh, a problem in terms of homotrans and biphobia, but it's also uh, been Islamophobic and had Islamophobic speakers. So thoughts, what do you
5: think? First, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you've brought me here today to talk with you all and share some ideas. I don't necessarily feel that I'm completely on the outside looking in. I was brought up in a Christian family and my grandfather and great-grandfather were Baptist ministers and Obviously, my grandmother was first lady of the church, so I grew up studying Bible, studying and living Christianity, and became a Muslim as a young adult. So I don't feel completely on the outside, but there is an important way on which I am on the outside, that I'm not Canadian. So I'm American. And when I hear this debate about the opening or accrediting this particular Christian college, I have to ask because there's some other things that I don't understand about what's acceptable for a religion to do in Canada in a public way. So from what I understand in the many places in the country, there's actually a separate Catholic school board and you're only eligible to teach there if you are Catholic and your kids can only go there if some percentage of their parents are Catholics so that you all as clergy, but a different kind of Christians would not be eligible to send your children there. And God forbid my non-existent Muslim children would not be allowed to go, but that's okay in Canada. That's publicly funded. Um, I have a friend who went to Hebrew school as a full-time school as a day school through his whole K through 12. And he says that Zionism was openly taught at the school and the students were encouraged to raise funds for Israel. And from what I understand, the United Nations has said that Israel has done a lot of wrong things to Palestinians, but that's okay in Canada, those schools can be accredited. So I'm concerned, bigger than just this one college, which I would agree with you, is suspicious, what are they teaching? I like to know what's okay to teach in Canada, what's okay to teach and be accredited, what do we think knowledge ought to really be? for people to put together and say, this is an educated person. This person is free to go around in our society. And we believe that we've taught them what we should. So this college doesn't appear to be appropriate, but I also question what else is going on around here.
1: I just want to add this. Uh, Yes, you can. They do have Muslim students in the Catholic school system as well as other Christian students. Yeah, uh, for for sure they do. However, it's a reasonable question Um, in Ontario and we're, you know, we're we're almost unique in this in Canada. And the question has been asked, why are we paying through our tax dollars? Now you get to choose whether you want to support the Catholic system or not. Um, but why are we paying through our tax dollars to support uh, a school that is clearly designated as Catholic, um, and a whole system? So that is an absolutely valid question. And and yeah, I mean, Hebrew day schools are private schools, so this, there's not a lot of control over what happens in in private schools. Good, very good points, Jody. Weigh in.
6: I, I'm, it's, I'm reminded of a time that I was on a bus on St. Clair, a streetcar in St. Clair, and there were these young girls and they were Catholic girls. They were dressed in the Catholic uniforms. And uh, one of them was saying, well, but you know, it's, it's not wrong, it's not wrong to be gay. There's nothing wrong with being gay. And the other one said, no, of course not, but you're going to hell. <laughs> and I thought, I thought this, is, this is kind of the weirdness that exists in Canada, right? Where we can have the, uh, the grasp of facts but still have opinions that contradict those facts and and you know support them or not support them. So I think that that's part of the issue. Um, I always thought that once the we started publicly funding the Catholic Church because we didn't always, but I thought once we started to there'd be more regulation brought into the kind of things that they're teaching and uh, and I have yet to see anything done like that. So um, the question of education, I mean, I love, I love that, you know, so I had the same question as you did, I thought. So what he's applying to do is have a science degree now. And of course, the person that comes to my mind is like, is he a creationist? <laughs> what, where, where is he starting his science? Like right around the, the 15th century or the, or, you know, I mean, I don't know what, what's going on. So I thought it was very funny. I, you know, I mean, the reality is, I mean, this is all for me, this is all just smoke in the air. Because, you know, these guys, they lurch up and they blow puff smoke everywhere and, and, and cause trouble, real trouble for people, real damage for people, I agree. But for the most part, everybody just looks at them and goes, well, I'm not sending my child there for three years university education into Christian college that's creationist, I'm supposing, right? Do you know what I mean? So I think that that's where I'm sort of weighing in on it and thinking. I don't know why you know Trump had a university. Didn't he How that work
1: out? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Jerry Falwell, yeah, exactly. yeah, in the states, it's a long tradition. Liberty University and others, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and uh, absolutely. Good question about creationism. Hadn't thought about that one. Um, again, just one thing. I mean, the the the, the Catholic school system does teach the uh, you know physical and health education or sex ed, as it's. Become known in the in mainstream media, and also does have gay straight alliances. They they have yeah. to by law, yeah. but yeah. but I mean yes, uh, <laughs> you know there are questions there as as we discuss with chefs as well. Um, let's kind of broaden from there because like what it raised for me, and when I was giving the testimony, I was really trying to appeal to you know especially some of the the conservatives that I'd worked with for 12, 12 years at Queens Park. Um, who'd sign on to, you know, my LGBTQ2 plus uh, bills um, to kind of their better natures, um, even though we don't agree ideologically on a great deal, especially on this issue, obviously. Um, but I mean, I, it raised the issue of, you know, how, you know, what what is like, as, as people of faith, what do we do with those people that call themselves the same faith as ours, that from our point of view, don't really practice it and uh, and and you know um and in the course of doing so and I know and Shems you must you must see this all the time because I certainly do, but you know really provide a, a toxic atmosphere sometimes for young LGBTQ people growing up um and then they kind of find our doors and we have to deal with it uh, and explain to them that, no, you can be a Muslim or you can be a Christian. You don't have to be homophobic. and transphobic. Um, how do we talk to those? How do we talk to the rest of the people of our faith? Shams, weigh in on
5: this. Well, for me, it's very difficult to talk to most of the people that are believed to be, quote, in charge in our faith because I don't have a penis and... That's often considered, no matter what you studied, no matter what you learned. When I was in graduate school, I was in Islamic thought, and uh, one of our professors was in charge of the Fiqh Council of North America, and he was inviting the other graduate students, several of whom were further back than me in their studies, to join the Fiqh Council. And I was the only woman, and also the only one not invited. And I went to his office, and he said, well, you know, I to obviously believe you're totally competent, but I'm not willing to fight the fight to get you included in this council. I said, but I thought you said you have have certain characteristics. He said, yes, but you have to be a man, of course. Okay, I therefore am not well-placed for any argument with most of these groups. What I try to do is to talk to the young people directly who are, or middle-aged people or old people who are curious and who want to hear something else. Today, I gave a chutba, it's Friday. I've given a Friday sermon. I talked about the role of sin in Christianity versus disobedience in Islam. I know that some of our people are sharing that with their parents. You know, after they watch these sermons, they share them with their parents to talk about these kinds of things. That is about the most outreach I'm able to do because, again, some people have the mistaken belief that Allah only talked to half the population.
1: I hear you. I absolutely hear you. Uh, Jody weigh in, how do you speak across uh, to other Christians who have a very different version of Christianity?
6: The first thing I'm thinking of, and I've just sort of come upon this in the last few days, we have to stop laughing at people who believe ridiculous things. We, we have to stop. No, no, we do, because we mock them. And I don't think there's going to ever be, ever be any reaching across the aisle as long as we're mocking them, right? That doesn't make them right it just makes our reaction has to change a little bit in order to open the door um but you know when you when you really think about it i, I agree with you completely about not having a penis as a problem and all the other kind of thing but what hap- what i found has happened after 25 years of activism in the united church is in being a reasonable you know academic uh, theological systematic kind of social activists, all I've succeeded in doing is entertaining a lot of people across the aisle that disagree with me and getting no, no changes. They exhaust us with petitioning them. That's, that's what the game is now, right? That's why I've left the church because the game is we're gonna make it, we're not gonna be mean. We're not gonna kick you out. We're gonna exhaust you with claim after claim and what about this and what about that and we can't do this now because, because the reality is and, and until we have equal number of, of faith leaders standing up against, I'm not mocking them now, but the people who believe in all kinds of xenophobic or homophobic responses to people, until we have an equal number of Christians and Muslims leading the charge, this is dead in the water, right? These guys just pop up, say what they want to say. The rest of the church, half of the liberal church agrees with them because they're all like, well, I don't want to get involved in this. It's too complicated for me. And the, and the other half is like, oh, I just don't want to fight anymore. You know, it's like a bad marriage, right? Where you've got, where you've got the, the, the wife is kind of given up and the husband is just a blowhard. And she's like, yeah, that's how he is. That's why I drink. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, and That's my two cents. Probably too radical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. And nothing too radical on the Radical Reverend Show, which is what you're listening to out there in either radio or podcast land. Um, and today's our faith panel. And today we were you know, really, it's a joy to have uh, both uh, Jody Fisher, who's a uh, United Church clergy and also teacher, uh, I'm gonna say uh, Shems Eden Roger from Unity Mosque. Uh, so, um, so, uh, and Shems, you were talking about uh, reaching out to young people and hoping that out of this comes um, come some generalized change, but you just heard what Jody said, do you get exhausted?
5: I just think I'm just so past exhausted that there's just no point in engaging with people who on a fundamental level, feel that your mind is not equal to theirs. And that applies, you know, I've had to have that experience in terms of race in some other circumstances, obviously in terms of gender. Um, I just don't have time, you know, I'm 51 years old and I have fought in the institution, as a teacher, as an academe, I fought for students. I still need to keep that fight up for people who can't fight for themselves. But as to my age and social position, I'm just over it. Completely yeah. over it. Yeah.
1: I, I hear the exha- exhaustion coming up. And I'm also aware that this radio show, by the way, is is uh, coming to you on this just the day after December 6th or December 7th. So I, I want to acknowledge that this is uh, December 6th at any rate, uh, the day that we acknowledge the Montreal massacre and what happened and violence against women in all forms. So you're hearing from two um, two very learned and activist women who are expressing their exhaustion at um, what they needed to, to do to get to where we are right now. Um, so where's the joy though? So where Shevs, let's start with you that this time. But like talk about what gives you hope and what gives you energy in your ministry.
3: I
5: really love the people. I love getting together with the people who love Allah. And well, it was really great. Before the pandemic, we had in-person services every week. And some of these people who were coming two hours on buses, trains, they're passing mosque after mosque after mosque, where they're not welcome if they're truly themselves, where they're not welcome if they're honest about themselves. But they come to us, and they have a home, and they have a community, and we hug them. And now we've started a gender reveal party, meaning that if somebody comes out as trans, we give them a party and give them some cake. So we just had our first episode in the during the pandemic when we gave cake to someone just last week. You know, we want to celebrate and and that celebration and that love and people saying things like, "I had stayed away from Islam for decades because I felt that Allah didn't love me." But once you all started to put out your videos, to put out your your written paraphernalia, and then to greet me with love, I feel welcome. So I feel great to be a part of that, and I also do kind of informal pastoral care for our community so people call me with questions I'm glad to help them and try to solve as, as much as possible uh, especially if they're Canada that's difficult for me because I don't know all the places they should call if they needed food or they're having trouble with housing but I'm happy to help and I feel like God made me to help so when I get to do that then I'm happy
1: and Jody what gives you what gives you hope and what gives you energy in your ministry because you still are, whether you're part of the church or not. <laughs> I'm,
6: I'm always, I'm always sort of on the lookout for information. So, and uh, I have a lot more time now to search for things. But I heard a really interesting uh, piece on one of the news state stations. I've got like eight of them I get. But uh, and because I'm not doing academics or anymore, I'm not going to tell you the reference or anything. I'm just going to say I heard a guy say, and it was from one of the groups of. Um, Evangelical churches in the States, not probably a Baptist because it wasn't a radical one It was more of a moderate kind of one and they were asking the Republican Party to stop being so Christian crazy Because what was happening with the messages that they were sending out is they were losing all of their kids The teenagers the 20 year olds were saying I'm not involved with this Like I will not be a part of this and I think you know when I when I talk to my kids who are approaching their twenties and the ones that are in their thirties? I take hope from them because, you know, we're spinning ourselves up in a little world that they don't—they've written off already. They're like, "What are you talking about? Like, get out of there! Get out of that mess! Just move!" You know? And and I, I take great hope from that because I think that we are coming to a point. We have to we have to find a way to get back to back to ethics, without without constraining it with religion without constraining it with with necessarily even law. We need to work with a different system. And I don't, you know, my my daughter, Harriet, who's in Italy sent me a thing saying that we're finally entering the age of Aquarius and that what we leave behind in the age that we're coming out of is religion. And what we're going into is more of a cosmic spiritual understanding of the world. And of course, my first response was, we're just getting into it. I thought we were into it for 30, 40 years. I don't know what's going on. So I'm being lied to both ends. Old people, young people, they all lie to me. But I do take hope from the young people. They're way ahead of us.
1: Okay, so so religion, though. But Shems, you and I, we're in religion. We're like in up to our eyeballs. Yeah. Um,
5: I think that one can construct a system without religion. But... By the time an individual person constructs it for him or herself, they're already pretty doggone old. It's difficult to, ab initio, create a whole philosophical system. I think religious systems, if done properly, would solve a lot of this problem. But I I don't deny that people can exist outside of religion and still do right and think about right and exhort others to do right.
1: I always thought I'd like to write a book one day saying, you know, I'm not spiritual, I'm religious, just to buck the trend. Um, but yeah, um, I, I find though in, in my ministry that absolutely um, young people or people that are new um, to faith really, uh, because even though we we live in a quote unquote quote, quote, Christianized country, certainly colonialized Christian country, um, they don't really have much experience. They're secular. You know, they they, they come in, they're secular for all intents and purposes. And um, it's really, that to me is is engaging and fun. And um, at the end of the day, if I think this is certainly true of, of Unity Mosque, and I hope that it's true of, of my place of worship, is that um, at the end of the day, we're building communities that are based on love. And you know, there's no, and it's the only place. Many times I find in people's lives where, you know, um, there's not there's no mission statement other than that. Really, at the end of the day, you know, you, you know, we're not trying to like any nonprofit, you know, fight for better kidney, you know, care, or we're we're not like a political party. We want to win and get our ideas across. We really, you know, come in the door. Um, We're we might not all like each other, but we're going to like really try to love each other by the end of this experience and then you carry that out into the world in whatever way whatever language you do um so that that's kind of my experience i want to talk uh, you know in the time that we have left though it's not a lot um about covid and we're all in kind of house arrest now in one way shape or form um we're all at home and um I know I'm hearing from folk. I just I just did an interview at a, another radio station um, about, you know, people screaming and yelling that they're not going to be able to be, you know, with 20 people in their family and um, not going to be able to go to church and not going to be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I said, well, you know, you can worship online like we do. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm wondering what you're coming across. Um, so, Chavis, maybe I'll start with you on this. Um so, you know, we're, you're now online. Um, what does that feel like
5: um, over this break? Um, so I feel especially vulnerable with several medical conditions. And I come from Detroit. Uh, Twelve of my friends have lost at least one parent from COVID. Some have lost both parents. Some have been hospitalized themselves. Also people other than those 12 friends. So I'm really coming from a community that I'm getting messages all the time about how people are suffering from COVID and can't see their families and can't bury their parents in the way that they are used to. So when I work together with people in our community, one of the things I like to emphasize is no one's to blame for getting COVID. No one wanted COVID. And when you say, oh, they shouldn't have been out unmasked, or they or one of our friends, he took care of his mother and father who were throwing up, who were, you know, swelling themselves. He got COVID too and had to go to the hospital too. Are we to tell him he shouldn't have done that? This is nothing but a painful disease. And I urge people to recognize that we are united in love for each other. We want to have prayers for the sick. And there was a great chupa last week from Wahida Shabazz from the World AIDS Federation. And she talked about World AIDS Day and the mercy toward the sick. And let's also have mercy toward the caregivers. That's what I'm asking people to do. That's what I'm taking comfort from is to see the mercies that the caregivers are giving and to just continue to pray for the sick. And When we talk about getting together with family, um, the Muslims have obviously had several holidays that we've passed that we haven't been able to get together, including the Hajj, where people couldn't go to the Hajj. And I think the mainstream Muslim clergy also did a great job coming out and saying The Quran says, do not kill yourselves. Don't get together. Don't have hajj. Don't have religious or private meetings. And that has trickled down to a lot of people. So let's just stay vigilant. We know that they are going to get vaccines soon. Are they going to be fair in how they distribute them? Okay, well, we'll wait and see. But supposedly there's only maximum of a year before we can all get the vaccine. And I urge everyone to stay merciful and loving while we wait.
1: Thank you. Um, Jody, um, how to be spiritual, um, how to be faithful in a time of COVID?
6: I I feel incredibly blessed right now because um, part of my activism over the last few years has switched away from uh, um, gay, lesbian, queer issues and into Indigenous issues. And so I'm on a number of different Facebook sites and feeds and news pro things. And because of that, um, COVID is decimating them. It's absolutely awful. It's not getting in the news or anything, but but I'm finding that I go through and when someone says, you know, my mother's sick, will you pray for me? If I feel called to, I'll write a paragraph for them. I, you know, I will take time to to really give them something that I feel that might help them, right? And I'm probably doing that. I was saying that to my wife this morning I'm probably doing it 20 times a day now like the, the 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 hunger out there the need for just somebody to say just praying for mercy for you just praying for you as a caregiver and you as your parent and all these different configurations of people and loss and and uh, and so I'm you know it's been it's been for me really wonderful and and a number of them have messaged me back and said thank you very much it was that was really nice and and there are also people that have issues with religion and issues with the church and and so but all that stuff doesn't matter I'm just saying like what in whatever way you'll take it you know I'm sending love and positive regard your way and and I hope it helps and I'll think of you and I do think of all of them and so I think there's opportunities there to do really different radical kinds of ways of of being with each other in what in spiritual ways. And, uh, and so I feel very blessed by that. And, uh, and, you know, I, I pray that everybody stays in for the year as well. I, I'm with you that we can't take these risks. It's not worth it. And, you know, you're not just protecting yourself, protecting other people. Like, Just wear a mask. Like, it's not, I don't understand. I just don't get it. I'm so, I'm so confused, right? You think like my, you know, my father like joined the army when he was younger than he was supposed to be and lied about his age. So he could go serve and think like, you know, two generations later, we're like, I'm not wearing a mask for my family. Forget that. You know, like you think, oh my God, like what has happened to us? Right? So I think we're already post-religion in the secular world in a distinct way that we never have been. But I do think that the, that the the religious people and the religious world can offer people now something that other people can't. And so we need to be abundance in our, in our giving now.
1: Uh, I just wanted to add uh, we're you're listening to the faith panel here on the Radical Reverend show, uh, whether on podcast or on the, uh, radio show, um, and of course, we love to hear from you. So please uh, give us your comments and and thoughts. Um, and I'm your host, Sherry De Novo. I'm United Church clergy as well. Today we have Jody Fisher on the show, who uh, United Church clergy engaged in community activism, and we have Estrada. Uh, I'm going to screw this up, but uh, Shem's doing my best here. Eden, Roger, uh, and Shem's, as we call her, teacher, uh, incredible activist originally from Detroit, um, studied Islam around the world and uh, is a preacher at Unity mosque. Um, One of the things on Jody's point about indigenous and Shem's point about, you know, communities, uh, particularly in states that have really been decimated by COVID. Um, I just got a note from, uh, there's a First Nation, this is in Manitoba, but probably indicative because remember First Nations uh, and Indigenous in our country don't often get tested as much as others because they're isolated, but the Shamtawa in Manitoba has a rate of 50% positivity when tested they're calling actually for the army to move in yeah. because they have no i mean they're they're being decimated um it's it's quite shocking that in you know this country with all its money we can't uh reach out to indigenous so again if you're if you're thinking of prayer out there um hold them in prayer because that's something we're adding to our prayer list this, uh, this Sunday in our church um, t- for them and uh, also for you know uh shout outside Scarlett Williams on here from 1492 Land Back Lane that occupation still continues on the west coast still the Wet Sueton are still trying to get their land and um, yeah so that that is us that's Canada and that's what's happening out there particularly where COVID is concerned yeah Shun's
5: The Indigenous communities in the north of Canada, especially facing COVID, early in the pandemic, I was asked as part of Canada Sews and Sewing for Change to sew masks. And I sewed and organized people to sew. Now in the second wave, there's a problem again. So if you have the financial resources to give yourself some space and lobby your MP to get this situation fixed, If you're working all the time, you don't have time, we understand, just pray for them. If you are able to do some mask making and sending some of the money to send those things up there again, Canada Sows and the Sewing Army are some of the big groups. There's some things that I think go beyond, I don't want to wear a mask for my own family. But some of those people I understand are 13 people in a dwelling there in Northern Canada, And they're forced there because the settlers took their land and their animals that they were fighting in, you know, that they were harvesting. So they're in these tiny dwellings. Once one of them gets it, they all get it. Okay. People, you know, what humanity lets that continue and does nothing. Absolutely. Um,
1: Definitely call your MPs about that. Uh, And, you know, one of the comments uh, that I received, which was uh, particularly telling is why is it so easy to build pipelines across uh, indigenous land and not to get fresh water piped into indigenous lands? Um, you know, where's the disconnect there? Some have been a generation without it. Um, so really, um, for those of you who are complaining that you're shut in doors in Toronto, uh, remember, remember that uh, you're among the lucky ones. Um, Certainly, Uh, just a few minutes left on the faith panel here on the Radical Reverend show and, and just very, very quickly, I mean, in terms of uh, looking ahead to 2021, and we hope 2021 is the year that sees the last of COVID. It may take a while, but we hope we hope that um, You know, what are the hopes you have for the communities in which you practice ministry? And and Jody, I'll start with you, even though you're not within the church anymore, you're clearly still practicing ministry. I'm sure you remember as we were finishing up school, uh, one of the things
6: I used to say that I'm not talking about being queer anymore to somebody unless they first identify as homophobic, because I'm not having that conversation, right? If they're willing to start from a premise that they think it's wrong to be gay, I'm happy to sit down and talk to them. And I think that we have to find new ways of talking to people that we fundamentally agree with. We have to find some common ground. We have to find some way to, to bring people along together, right? I mean, we've, we've fractured, uh, fractured often in these little communities and it's it's not healthy.
1: Yeah, but you were the one that was saying and Shams was saying too that it's exhausting having those conversations all the time. Well, but no, no, see, those those conversations
6: are exhausting because people won't admit it. What's exhausting is spending hour after hour after hour before somebody will say, yeah, I guess I am a little racist or a little homophobic or a little whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the 25 hours of pre-dialogue. And then often they figure, oh, well, I I feel better now. Like, okay, we're done. No, now we can start. (laughs) Now we can start. And there's no starting. There's just a constant bringing people
1: up to speed. Cool. So- Yeah, like be upfront folk, be honest.
5: Shems. what what are your hopes for 2021? Um, I, I think when you were talking earlier about being religious, I'm really truly religious. It isn't the mainstream way of being Islam, but it's a way that works for me and has worked for a quarter of a century. I'm really religious. I'd like to make more room in the public sphere for religious people to just be okay, to just say, all right, they are a believer. They do actions because they believe that God would want them to, to make the world better. I'd like to continue to make space for religious people to be part of bicycle cooperatives, to be part of women's activist groups, to be part of our society without having to be marginalized. Even when we live in a secular society, some of us are religious, and I'd like to continue that work into 2021. I'd also like to continue working to do some of the things that you all have already done to create institutions such as divinity schools that are not mainstream, where we can come together and study and form a body of knowledge and a body of thought about the religion. And and in talking about religion, of course, it means talking about the world. Mm -hmm. And we need to have a place to do that that isn't dominated by, I um, have to say politely, because we're on the radio, the P Patrol Posse, um, leaving the word P um, unstated. These people would like to control our bodies and focus on our bodies instead of on our eternal souls. So I'd like to create places where we can work on our eternal souls and work on the community together. And that's why I am glad to be invited here today on the Radical Reverend Show. I love that. And I'd like to keep working with you all and some of the other people that we, I've met through the interfaith work that we're doing. Through 2021 and beyond, let's try to get a place for religious people in the society to work together for goodwill.
1: Sounds like a wonderful note, end on. Thank you so much to my guests. Uh, any questions you have, or if you want to get in touch with Unity Mosque or uh, anything, um, please don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks so much, Jodi. Thanks so much, Thank You. Jo. Until Bye. next time on the Radical Reverend Show.